There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Readers recommend. So readers recommend. Um, I'm the reader today and I'm recommending The Perfect Lie by Karen Osman. <laughs> um, she's joining us in the studio. She's talking about her, she's going to be talking to us a little bit about her latest book, The Perfect Lie. Um, so your debut novel, Karen, The Good Mother, it won the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature's Montegrappa Writing Prize. That's right. In 2016. 16, yep. Okay. Um, and that was quickly followed by a three book deal with yes. Head of Zeus. Yes. Um, and you are the author of The Good Mother, The Home and now The Perfect Lie. That's right. So... Secrets and Lies is kind of our unofficial theme for this last hour of the show. So before we talk about the perfect lie, I'd like to ask you about some lies of your own. So I'm going to ask Alison to start. Okay. And I'm going to try and guess. So tell me two truths and one lie about yourself. And okay. I'll see if I get it right. Two truths and a lie. Um, in high school, I won the school beauty pageant and was Miss Northeast High School. I have been on fire three times, and none of them were an accident. I lead a series of writing retreats. The next one is in Dubai in February. It's called Rebirth Your Book. Okay. I know the answer to this because by process of elimination, I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying the beauty pageant one is a lie for other reasons. <laughs> what an awful thing to put to somebody. Oh, no, no, you're totally right. Okay. I mean, I didn't even make the finals. I, I represented the literary magazine. I was, you know, Miss Literary Magazine. And then for my talent, I did performance art about alienation. It went over like a lead balloon. Did it? It was, it, I think so everybody there was, was left. some truth in that. Oh, I was in the pageant. I just didn't come anywhere close to winning. Okay. Yeah. Although it sounds like your whole thing was more entertaining than everybody else's, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> so Karen, two oh. truths and a lie. Okay. So I once tried out for the Master um, Master Chef auditions in the UK. Uh, the second one is I used to live in Japan. And the third one is I was a, a semi-professional salsa dancer. Okay, so semi-professional salsa dancer, used to live in Japan, auditioned for MasterChef. Okay. Um, oh, these are good ones. She e looks very Easter. fit and limber, so <laughs> I kind of like the salsa dancer thing. I'm, I'm going to say... Um, I'm going to say MasterChef. Absolutely right. I'm a terrible, terrible cook. In fact, I don't cook. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's the lie. But, you, but you're a semi-professional salsa I, dancer. Yeah, I was in my in my twenties, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Does that so? Does that come into any of your books at all? No, not at all. When are you going to write the crime thriller about the salsa dancer? <laughs> well, that could be quite exciting, actually. Um, and basically, you know, we used to just travel the round as like uh, around the world as like a, a group in a salsa dancing group and, and put on shows. It was quite an exciting time in my life. It wasn't a full time job by any means, but um, I enjoyed it. It was a, a, a lot of fun. Did you get to wear the costumes with like the beads that swoop yes. all around? Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we had some amazing costumes and some amazing makeup and. Yeah, it was like Strictly before Strictly, but nowhere near as, you know, glamorous. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Pre-Strictly, yeah. Strictly. That's amazing. <laughs> also, I think we need to back it up very briefly because I understand the context of you being on fire three times, but I just realized that there are probably listeners out there going, wait, what? You need to explain so why she was on fire. Before I was a full-time writer and editor, I was a full-time circus performer. And one of my acts was fire eating and fire manipulation. And so I 
took part in a German fire show in which I was doused with water and then fire cannons blew fire all over me. Um, It was really awesome, except for the one night when the button stuck and uh, Crazy Eddie, uh, that's what we called him, was like punching at the button. Was his name Eddie? Was he a bit crazy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And let me tell you, like, it stayed on for an extra second and a half, which in terms of being on fire is eternity. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was still technically on purpose, though. I mean, I had volunteered to be in that part of the show. That sounds terrifying. And on that terrifying note, we're going to move to... <laughs> move to the world of thrillers. Move to the world of thrillers. Segway. <laughs> nice segue, Annabelle. It's almost like you do this on purpose. Hmm, perhaps. So without giving too much away, Karen, so your novel, The Perfect Lie, it came out recently over the summer, I believe. It did. It came out in August of this year. Um, so main protagonist... Claire, I don't want to say too much. Can you explain what this perfect lie is and tell us a little bit more about the protagonist? Because I don't want to give away spoilers. Yes, of course. Well, I mean, this book is, you know, as you said, it's about a woman called Claire. And on the outside, her her life seems perfect. She's got this, you know, incredible family. She's got an amazing career as a, as a lawyer. She's got two beautiful children. But as she takes on a case at work of a 19-year-old vi- uh, rape victim, she's reminded of a past that she'd run forget. So the book is sort of set between present day and then it goes back to the 80s, which is her in high school. It's set in Manchester in, in the UK. And it's really about a story of how one lie can have absolutely devastating consequences and the impact on people around them. So I don't want to talk too much about the book because obviously it's got a an amazing kind of concept that draws you in. And the whole joy of a psychological thriller is, you know, figuring out how all these loose ends tie up. Mm. But you return to motherhood quite a bit Mm. in your books. And that's something that really stood out for me as I started reading um, The Perfect Lies. There's this big focus on the concept of family and I think safety and security as well. Mm. Is Is that something, is that a conscious decision or do you just end up writing about mothers um i think motherhood you're right is a is a strong theme i meant i mean i wrote the good mother which won the emirates literature prize in 2016 when i was pregnant and looking after a a toddler so i think you know um motherhood pregnancy it brings strong emotions so i think those sort of came into my writing and and have continued and there's actually sort of an official sort of genre which is domestic noir yeah so it's it's centered around family but there's you know there's that darkness that noir in it that sort of gives it that thriller edge um so yeah i mean it's books that i enjoy reading about um so i think that that also plays a part in it i write what i enjoy reading just a head, heads up to our listeners as well uh, karen is one of the authors also attending the emirates airline festival of literature That's next correct. year yes and um, so the dates are 4th to the 9th of february and i believe your event is happening on the weekend so that most of the events are happening from the 7th to the 8th of february and if you go to emiratesliftfest.com you can find out um more details about the program you can buy tickets and you can see the kind of the wide range of authors that we've got coming I think there's over 150 authors attending the festival so there's definitely something for everyone but in terms of crime writers the big question that we're grouping a lot of the crime authors and their books around is what do you think makes the perfect crime and I wondered as a writer of domestic noir in this kind of genre do you have an opinion about this? I think the perfect crime is the one that you get away with. Mm. 
Mm. Ideally, no one would know that a crime had occurred mm. if you committed a perfect crime. Yeah, that to me is is you know is the answer to that question. Um, and I think there's many factors that sort of come in there. And I think um, involving women as characters, we don't always associate women with committing crime. You know, if we think of your traditional criminal, we tend to think of men. Um, so I think that, you know, gives it an unexpected twist sometimes that women are capable of doing such heinous acts as well. Um just while we're on the subject as well, we've got your wonderful book, The Perfect Lie, um, to read. But if you're thinking about crime novels um, and thrillers that have completely blown you away in terms of the concept and, and the, the structure, is there one book that you would always recommend to people? Um, I, d- I mean, I love, in terms of crime, you know, I think Peter James is is always a winner for me. You just know what you're going to get when you pick up with his books. And I think the research that he does into police procedure is, you know, really adds an extra dimension to that for me. Um, Claire McIntosh, of course, I think her experience in the police force comes through very, very strongly mm-hmm. as well. I love um, all of those books. There's not one book that of hers that I haven't enjoyed. So, yeah, they would uh, two authors that definitely stand out for me. So Peter James and Claire McIntosh. Mm. What about you, Alison? You know, I would recommend Dick Francis's books, um, it, it, especially the ones he wrote himself before his son took over. And the thing I love about them is each book investigates a new world in which the crime is occurring. And so like one of the books is all about the catering industry, which was surprisingly fascinating. One of the books, the main character was a glassblower. And I felt like I learned a ton about glassblowing in the context of this book. One of the books was um, a guy who was an official restaurant taster person who went through and made sure that everything was was the way it was supposed to be in restaurants. And I, I find that window into another world through the lens of let's solve this crime to be really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, on the subject of uh, of crime, we were actually talking about an American marriage earlier. And the question that we were asking is if your spouse were convicted of a crime and sent to prison, as Roy is in the book An American Marriage, would, would you stand by them? And we actually had a message in. <laughs> Rhiannon said, depends on the crime and if I was aware. Which I think, which uh, I think, is an opinion that many people would share as well. Would you? I mean, it depends on the crime, doesn't it? I think it does because if someone I loved had done something truly heinous, I would feel the need to disassociate myself from them. Um, whereas if someone I loved was unjustly convicted, like. I'm kind of a dogged, persistent person, mm-hmm. so I would probably not have time to hook up with my childhood friend because I would be busy pursuing this through the appellate courts. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly the kind of thing I would expect you to say about that novel. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I want to ask you before we move on to the next book that we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes is, do you read these books differently now that you're a writer of them? Yes, for sure. And, it, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Um, before, books were pure escapism to me. I would mm. never analyze it as much as I do now and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm reading an awful lot of books as well. So I'm, I'm tending to read them a lot more quickly as well um, because I also read a lot for Karen's Bookshelf, which is an online show all about books. And we make a lot of book recommendations on there. So I am reading a lot quicker and a lot more analytically as well. 
Yeah, where when something cool happens in the first chapter, you're like, ooh, nice clue. I bet they're heading for a plot line like yes. this. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we asked a question, how good are you at keeping secrets? And Roland says, I think I am better at 80%. So, readers recommend. So, just to give you a quick summary, it's historical fiction, and like Karen here, Santa Montefiore will be speaking at the Literature Festival next February. So, it's a standalone book that we're talking about, The Secret Hours. It's the fourth in a series. Um, It's set in Boston and Ireland in 1960, but there are diary entries that take us back to the turn of the 19th century, and some are called Bellina Kelly in. Island. So that's basically the end of the 1800s. And you've got this main character called Faye. And how would you describe Faye? Um, I would describe Faye perhaps as a product of her time, really, in the 1960s. Um, Very sort of obedient, uh, all about her husband and her family. And I think she's sort of approached this time in her life. I think she's late 50s. Her mother's just died. And, um, you know, she has this sort of opportunity to go and explore the past. And it's the the first time, I think, in her life that she's actually told her husband and told her brother, um, this is what she is going to do. And I think she finds that quite liberating, Um, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think she's on a, a sort of path of discovery, if you will. So she's been the dutiful 1950s wife basically and the dutiful 1950s daughter and the dutiful 1950s sister and when we start with Faye at the beginning of the book she is a woman whose life is being pushed around by dudes so we've got the main character Faye um but she's determined to find out about her mother Arethusa mm. and her past I think a few minutes ago I said that you would let us know that what the mystery was in this last will and testament that surprises everybody um She's made a few odd requests, hasn't she? Yeah, so when the the reading of the will is sort of done, um, both Faye and her brother are very surprised um, that uh, the the mother has requested her ashes be scattered back in Ireland. um, And also that there is a third person who she's left a portion of her estate to as well. So there's two sorts of mysteries there that, you know, really, uh, you know, trigger the, you know, the anxiety in the brother and the curiosity in in Faye to go and and find out about her mother's past because her mother had said that she'd left Ireland many years ago um, for, you know, a different reason. And that doesn't turn out to be true at all. And there's really a sense uh, in Faye's journey that her mother wants her to take a literal physical journey in order to truly understand where her mother is coming from and why the mother had made choices that are now reverberating through the lives of Faye's generation. One of the things that I liked about this book and that I've liked in previous uh, Santa Montefiore novels is she's very good at creating a strong sense of place, mm-hmm. I feel. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, and I think, you know, I was saying earlier to Alison about the temptation of Gracie. I think that setting of place in Italy was so wonderful. And I think you do get that same sense here in Ireland as well. I think what was missing for me was some 1960s sort of reference. I often forgot that, that you know, they were in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. But um, certainly you can imagine yourself in Ireland and, you know, the descriptions of the weather and the people and, and things like that came across very strongly. 
And there's another timeline in the book, too, where we're in the late 1800s. And I feel like that timeline is a little bit more present for us because of the interaction between wealthy people and servants in a way that most people do not experience these days. Yeah, there was a definite Downton Abbey vibe about that section yes. of the book, I felt, yes. or upstairs, downstairs, rather. Yes, yeah. yeah, I got that sense as well. And, and you know, I mean, people who love historical fiction will will enjoy that element of it, I think. Um, it's very much a tr- what I think of as traditional historical fiction. You know, it's a multifamily saga. It definitely depends on some plot twists that are only plot twists because they happen in this particular time period. You know, there's there's a fair number of things that happen in Arethusa's past and that happened to Faye that if Faye wasn't in the 1960s, these things would not have happened. If Arethusa did not grow up in the early 1900s, these things would not have happened. They would not have been issues. And so I think to truly enjoy this book, you have to be willing to let go of the contemporary sensibility of, dude, why are you letting your husband boss you around like that? And go ahead and accept that that's the way that this woman was experiencing life at this time. And it was logical and reasonable at that time. Yeah, I think otherwise you might end up a bit frustrated. Yeah. Sometimes I, I would get slightly frustrated. But I think the other major theme for me was marriage. And being as we're talking about that on the show today, that, you know, between Faye and Wyatt, there's sort of this underlying frustration from Faye about how she's now realizing just how sort of domineering her husband's been. Um, and, you know, she makes reference all the time that she doesn't want him to come on the trip. She doesn't want to think about him while she's on the trip. She doesn't want to give the hotel phone number. So she wants her own space. She wants her own space. And she talks repeatedly about two weeks just for me. And um, yeah, yeah, I think many women uh, could perhaps identify (laughs) with that, you know. Um, And she's living in an era where she does not naturally draw the connection between I am feeling these feelings of wanting to be separate and, hey, maybe I need to literally be a separate person. And that's just not a thing that that a woman in her situation would really first go to as her avenue of escape at that time. Is this a genre that either of you often read? For me, I love historical fiction. I've always enjoyed historical fiction. I really love historical fiction, but this is not my favorite period. This is this is more romance as well, isn't it? I think I think we need to make that clear for any listeners. Like if you if you don't like romance, this is probably going to be a tough one. For it you. is a beautiful, sweeping historical really romance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm more of a history person in my historical fiction because mm-hmm. I think one of the books that you came on to talk about on the show the first time you were on talking of books was Wolf Hall. Yes, which Hillary is also Mantel. sweeping historical fiction, but has very little. It's not very (laughs) lovey-dovey at all. No, it's a lot crueler than that. Yeah. Um, I I felt a great deal of frustration when I was reading Faye, but I felt like it was intentional because if you you look at where we're coming from as a reader and and looking at somebody who is that stifled, I I don't know about you, but I I felt almost claustrophobic myself. I felt myself being stifled. And I think that's a, a mark of a good writer if they're able to convey what the character is going through and make you feel some of that yourself. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. The one thing I do wish I'd done was read the trilogy 
um, the Devil trilogy that had come, you know, her previous three books about um, the Devils. I know it is a standalone and you can read it alone, mm. but I do wonder if that perhaps would have given it more context because I found there was a lot of characters in this, actually, and maybe I just had a lot of things on my mind, but, you know, keeping up with all the different characters and family members, um, I think the trilogy perhaps would have been given a bit more context. One thing I do think Santa Montefiore handles really well is the way she describes the experience of grief. Um, she she writes early in the book uh, about Faye's mother's death. Her death hits me in unexpected ways. It is complicated, like a tangled ball of wool I had expected to be tidy. I feel sadness, a hollow, aching sadness, but I am also relieved, for she has been released from her suffering, and I have been released from her dominance. It is a thorny thing to feel both sorrow and relief at the same time. Yeah. And I think that beautifully captures for so many of us the experience of losing a parent or losing an older relative who is such a dominant figure in our lives. Yeah. I think yeah. that some of my favorite parts of you've actually reminded me of some of my favorite parts of the book that I wish there were there were more of were her thinking and kind of reminiscing about her mother and the complicated relationship that they had and that kind of mixture of both love but also relief because it was such a, a a relationship filled with such tension mm -hmm. as well and I thought she did that really well and, and I kind of wanted more of that com complexity throughout yeah. the story because mm. yeah. she's she can do that I felt like she could have done it more but perhaps she's also working within the expectations of of her readers as well I think so mm. yeah perhaps yeah Perhaps I think it's um, I think that complexity could have gone a lot deeper. Readers recommend. So we have been talking to the wonderful Karen Osman, best-selling author of The Good Mother, The Home, and more recently The Perfect Lie. When we talked about your book earlier, we didn't actually tell people where they could get hold of copies. Yes, they can get um, hold of copies on Amazon, Kobo, iGoogle, and of course there'll be books available to buy at the Emirates Literature Festival yes, as well. Because yes. Karen will also be joining us in her role as author. But in your role as reviewer today, let's just recap. So we've been talking about The Secret Hours by Santa Montefiore. Um, we'd recommend it as a holiday read, I think we're, we're feeling in the studio. Yes. Yeah, pour yourself a bubble bath, lock the door so your kids can't get in, you know, release them into a cluster of mince pies and settle back and enjoy the brain candy. I like that, a cluster of mince pies. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a bit of a random question um, and deviating a little bit from the book, but when people talk about holiday reads, they talk about their favourites. And perhaps I'm overthinking this, but I couldn't get the thought out of my head that have you ever taken a book on holiday that has just been entirely inappropriate for the trip that you've been on? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Usually it's a book that I think to myself, oh, I've been meaning to read this for a long time. I'll take it on the airplane Same. and that way I'll definitely read it. And it always sits in my suitcase and it's always something heavy. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I think my, so that, that book for me has always been Anna Karenina. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. We really should read Anna Karenina one day. We really should. One day. We'll be saying that in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can people still text us in with the book they're yes. kind of embarrassed about not having yes. read yet? Thank you so much for reminding <laughs> me about that. So the wonderful Adib actually messaged in about this and I'll share his answer in just a few minutes. But just to remind you, we were asking people, um, so have you ever been kind of guilt tripped or shamed um, into 
you know, I mean, basically, have you ever felt bad about a book that you haven't read that everybody else around you has made you feel, oh, you should have read that book? And it's it's usually a classic. So Adib has said that uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, he hasn't read that and he feels really guilty about it. Oh, Adib, I have not read that book either. And I feel guilty about it every time. And Annabelle is giving me the, oh, my goodness, how could you not no, have read To Kill a Mockingbird? Just, look like her eyes got all wide. I'm only surprised. <laughs> no, not I just want to make it very clear that I don't shame anybody into feeling like bad about any books that they haven't read. I am just surprised because I believe you are American, aren't you? I am. And it is a giant of American literature. Yeah. And, and I just would have from expected... From what I hear, it's good. I just would have expected it to have been assigned to like... In my head, it's assigned to every single school student in America. Oh, it was. I just didn't do the homework. Oh, fair enough. Okay. All right. <laughs> this all makes a lot more sense to me now. This all makes a lot more sense. What about you, Karen? Have you ever been kind of guilt tripped into thinking oh, I should have read that book um not not so much guilt tripped into reading it but sometimes reading it and not enjoying it yeah um and I think the classics you know are right up there for me I just <laughs> really struggle to sort of enjoy them and get into them and, and depth and have wonderful conversations that you always imagine people are having about them so that's probably my little guilty secret and I do have another guilty secret as well and oh, that is on. um Harry Potter yeah that, that's a quite a big secret um that I haven't really read too much of them and and the ones I read weren't really for me so uh yeah. I'm giving you the wide-eyed oh my goodness you yes. don't care for those books look right now no yes. shame no guilt just surprise. Yeah. Just surprise. Are you I'm sure that's on it? And my husband loves them. I'm amazed he married me, really. I, I thought that could have been a deal breaker, but uh, there you go. Yeah. So uh, you're not the only person, though. I think, and Harry Potter is actually a common one for people to feel guilty about. And it's, mm. it's precisely the right example for this kind of question mm. um, that we're asking because. You, you do get that response like, oh, my goodness, what's, you know, what's wrong with you? Why <laughs> yes. haven't you read this? I had that recently with um, I haven't read the book Shantaram. And oh, I think I had a conversation with I somebody. I that book with the burning passion of Don't a thousand Don't say that sons. because the fan of that book might be listening right now and get very upset. <laughs> well, and I think that's a good thing that the book inspires strong feelings one way or the other. It's a far more powerful reaction to write a book people love or hate than a book people feel OK about. And I, I, I absolutely loved it. And I'm look, giving you that wide-eyed look going, how can you not have read that book? Yeah. Life-changing. And, and so we so have one lover, one hater, and one hasn't read it yet. I want to read it. But isn't it funny how we'll, we'll say this things like, nobody should feel guilty at all about not having read a book. <laughs> and then the moment anyone says it, the reaction is, how have you not read that book? Yeah. And it's like, we can't help ourselves. Yeah. It's because we've experienced something wonderful and we want the people that we love and feel good about to also have that wonderful experience. Experience. Thanks for that positive spin there, Alison. <laughs> you made me feel much better about my judgment. Great. Um, final thought from you, Karen, on who you'd recommend The Secret Hours to. Yes, I mean, I'd re recommend this book to anyone looking for, you know, like Alison said earlier, great sweeping historical fiction saga about family generations, family secrets, um, and, and definitely good for the upcoming uh, festive season holidays where people have perhaps a little bit more time off and, and can enjoy and get stuck into it. Yeah, and where the book will be interesting enough to keep you going, but not so compelling that you resent having to put it down to deal with your family. Oh, that's that's a great way of, of explaining it. So I know that we're going to hear Santa Montefiore speak at the Emirates Lit Fest next year, but there is somebody else that you are really looking forward to as well. Who is that person? Yes, I'm really looking forward to Mitch Album coming. 
um, I believe, is it true it's his first time yep. to the festival? So, yes. We're immensely excited. Yes, yeah. I'm really excited and looking forward to to that. So just very quickly, I'll give you a heads up. Um, one of his, his main event um, is called Finding Chica, A Little Girl, An Earthquake and the Making of a Family. And that's on Saturday, the 8th of February at six o'clock, emiratslipfest.com for tickets and more information. But he is, of course, famous for a book called Tuesdays with Maury. And I hadn't, I, I didn't know anything about Mitch Album before um, we announced that he was coming to the festival. Um, and I had no idea that this book he wrote to raise money for his former teacher's medical bills mm. and they didn't expect it to become a hit at all did you did you know about the background to the book i did not know no. that but it no. makes sense because the book has so much heart in it and it's touched so many people that you can tell it came from a very genuine place um speaking of genuine here's mitch album himself talking about the unlikely success of tuesdays with maury mainly i wanted to pay his medical bills that was the whole reason for writing it It wasn't aimed to be a bestseller or anything like that maury had terrible debt for dying for two years I had the idea to try to help pay, pay it off by writing a book. And had I not been doing that, I probably would have given up. There were so many people said no to it, but I kept mm-hmm. pushing. We found one publisher a few weeks before he died, and they agreed to print it, and they printed 20,000 copies. And wow. I thought I'd have them in the trunk of my car for the rest of my life. He thought he'd have them in the trunk of his car for the rest of his Amazing life. Amazing story. And look where he is now. You know, he wanted to be a musician um, initially, and then he was a total flop, and that, and he ended up, uh, becoming a sports writer by accident and then the whole experience with Maury generated Tuesdays with Maury and from from that he's just become this phenomenon which just goes to show you it's not about who you know it's not about getting an MFA it's about the story that you alone can tell in the best words that you can put together mm-hmm. absolutely um speaking about stories that you can tell in the best way possible i think that we should mention because i think it's the last show we'll be able to before the deadline closes but the montegrappa writing prize we've got one of the i think graduates um karen osman actually won in 2016 um and the deadline for submissions to the montegrappa writing prize is actually the 27th of november and you don't need to have written the whole book you need to intend to write the whole book but what you really need is a synopsis and the first 2,000 words of the book. And something to keep in mind is for those first 2,000 words, if your book does not start with a bang, you might want to start it a little bit later because you only have 2,000 words to get those judges' attention. And remember what we said earlier in the show, you probably don't need 50 pages of backstory to get us there. What? I don't need 50 pages of backstory? Put it in the supporting novella that we'll download as an ebook. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.